Uh, welcome yeah. to the Racing Debate here on Sky Sports Racing. Uh, what a day of racing yesterday. Absolutely smash-up job, isn't it? I mean, the British are looking at the Irish now and they're saying, who are you? Because... I mean, we're just going to dominate Cheltenham, aren't you? The Irish are finished. Well, it looks like we might win a race. Well, we've got the Arkle winner, possibly, in Edwardstone. We already know we're winning the champion chase with Shishkin. Supreme. We're winning the Supreme with Constitution Hill. And we've got one or two others in the mix as well now. Um, Edwardstone, as I say, looks tremendous. So, brave man's game. I mean, Galapente Champ, he probably didn't sleep last night, did he? The Irish are in bits, Boise. Or are they? I wonder how many Irish uh, racing fans have lost sleep overnight. Not many, I would wager. Lots. However, I before, mean, Willie Mullins, before we get to he's, that, he's not. He, he probably is still in bed. He's given up. Before we get to that, unfortunately, we've been gazumped by another story which mm. we were not expecting. Coming up. Yes, welcome along to Racing Debate. Loads of great racing to reflect on yesterday. Lots of interesting stories and some angles for Cheltenham as well, which we will get to. Come on, Great Britain. Take a pull. We are great, Boise. Uh, We've rode the waves. We won the wars. We actually went to the battles, unlike one or two other countries. And we are now ready to fight again. We shall debate that. Rule Britannia. Shortly, shortly. Before we get to all of that, and I can't wait, mm. um, Less good news, unfortunately. Mm. A, a story emerged overnight on social media. I first saw this fairly late in the evening on Twitter. It's been bubbling over, uh, bubbling under, I should say, on other social Andover. media, on TikTok and things like that, uh, for a few days. It's taken a while to break through, but it has certainly broken through now. So Mark Todd, who is a licensed trainer, of course, and trains racehorses, one of the great equestrians of all time, of course, one of the great equestrian sportsmen of all time, uh, after his exploits in the eventing fields, uh, was videoed, and apparently it's a couple of years old, this video. We're not going to show you the whole video, but here's a still from it, which will give you a flavour. That is alleged to be uh, Mark Todd on the right there, with what looks like a large... Well, we know it's him, because he's apologised. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, if you watch the video, you'll see he whacks the horse on the backside with that stick several times in an effort to no uh, need persuade the to horse to no uh, need. go through. We could debate that, but that decision is made. Yeah. Um, no so need. It, it, it won't be shown. It's there on social media if you if you if you want to see it. Now, there's, uh, there's a question mark immediately. Is this a matter for racing? Yes or no? Should we, should we be discussing it right now? Well, Sir Mark is a licensed trainer. Uh, these are not race horses, but as a man working with horses, uh, I think there is no doubt that as a licensed trainer, he gets drawn in to a horse-loving conversation. It's an equine welfare story. Yeah. Because that's not a... He is one of ours, so we have to talk about it. Yeah. Let's, let's say I was a lion tamer and I abused my lion. I don't think then people who had tigers would say, well, hold on, he, <laughs> he's messed around with, with lions, but we're fine with him with the tigers. Exactly. I think the simple truth is that if you work with horses, in inverted commas, then it doesn't really matter whether this is a racehorse. Whether the British Horse Racing Authority have the authority to do anything um, on the back of this because of his licence is another matter. Yeah, not down to, to regulate that incident, but it may... Uh, but in general terms, the public will just see this as a person who works with horses per se. Ah, he's made his life out, yeah. of, uh, out of... And I must horse. say, before we get on to the, to the, to the bad stuff here, a trainer that I have felt is about to explode onto the scene as a racehorse trainer. OK. Um, 
This is what um, Sir Mark Todd himself had to say after this emergent. You're right, Matt, that he has conceded it's him, so it's not speculation that it was him. I wholeheartedly apologise to the horse and all involved for my actions in this clip. One of the main things I preach about is establishing a mutual respect between horse and rider, and that patience and kindness is the best way to get results. Um, I believe this is one of the main attributes, along with a great empathy with animals, that has enabled me to have a long, successful career in eventing. I'm very disappointed in myself. So which is the real uh, Sir Mark Todd? That one, apologising, the one we see in that clip, or was that a momentary lapse? Uh, to shed some light on, on what we were seeing there, what the context might be, we're joined by Ross Miller. Ross himself was a, uh, a top competitive eventer, now a coach in eventing as well. Big racing uh, uh, fan and expert as well, Ross. Thanks for joining us, uh, Ross. Just, just to put in context straight away, what, what do... What was happening there? What, what did we see happen in that clip, do you think? Well, it, it looks like it's a, a coaching scenario uh, whereby he's uh, put a day out, um, had groups of riders coming, um, and his job there is to, to give them a good time, to help them with any issues. Uh, but first and foremost, in my opinion, to give them a, a plan and a strategy and some ideas to take forward. Um, so he's fallen a long way short there um, because it's, it's, it's not an action I can sort of uh, recognise with the, the person I saw competing when I was competing alongside him. We'll talk about um, Todd and whether it's typical of, of him, but, but what about people who work with horses in eventing, Ross? We're all human beings. We all get impatient. We all lose our patience and sometimes lose our temper. Is, is there any context in which either you yourself or people you've worked with have used exactly that sort of technique that we saw there? No, I mean... I, I think anyone who works with horses for a long time and tells they've not lost their temper with a horse is, is lying. But as a professional, you understand when you're losing your temper, losing your rag, and, and you have to walk away. So often when training horses, you have to uh, exert a form of pressure. I mean, to get a horse to go forward, you're using your legs against the horse's side. That's a, that's a pressure. And sometimes you have to increase the pressure to encourage them more. But... At no time in my life have I uh, resorted to that tactic. And I can hand on heart say no one that I know has done it that, that I know of. I mean, and this is the issue. I don't recognise this action in Mark Todd, but the public are going to say, if he's prepared to do this in public, what does he do behind closed doors? Um, so absolutely not, in answer to your question. It's, it's not a recognised tactic uh, in trying to solve the problem that the, the horse was facing. No. Um, so it's, it's, it's not recognised, not, not acceptable, in other words. What's, and I, I'm asking you to speculate, I suppose, Ross, but you, you've known Sir Mark Todd, you've ridden against him and competed against him. What's, what's your instinct tell you? Is, is, does my, this feel like a, a lapse? Or, or... My, my instinct says, of course, it's a lapse. Um, the, the situation I think he's got himself into, we talk a lot in terms of racing and with horses, time is essential. He's got four other riders there, uh, a cross-country session. If I was teaching, I think there's five riders in that group. If, if I was in that situation, it would probably be an hour and a half or two-hour session. Um, and you're always mindful of the fact you're trying to share that time equally amongst people. Um, and, the, and the difficult thing is to, to sometimes have to turn around and say to someone, sorry, I can't get you through this fence today. Come back and have a private session. Come back another day. I mean, I've been in situations before where I've taken shoes and socks off and and led horses through water jumps because you want to give people a good a good time you know me getting wet cold feet is is very different to a horse sort of uh, suffering what what that horse suffered um so i i would be very confident it's an isolated incident but that that doesn't by any way excuse it 
We, we, Ross, we've seen an incident with a cat over the last week, which, which no one has enjoyed. Um, there'll be a lot of people who see this and say absolutely no difference between those two situations. Obviously, the guy in the football has been fined 250 grand, although in the great realms of things in his life, that's probably peanuts. Um, but it's still 250 grand. What kind of punishment do you feel should be handed out and by whom? You know, because Sir Mark's, you know, is it an equestrian per se punishment, i.e. Any, any, any dealing with any horses? Is it a body punishment? What, what, I mean, is it an RSPCA punishment? What, what kind of punishment do you feel someone should have on the back of this when you consider what's happened over the last week with, with the cats? I, I mean, I wouldn't be qualified. I, 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 as I understand, I don't think he competes under British eventing or FEI rules anymore. So whether they can, can, can do anything, I think is unlikely. He's a licensed trainer, as you, as you said. So uh, whoever can act needs to act because uh, as an equine industry, we have never been under more scrutiny. I think it's a good industry. I think the vast majority of people practice good practice and are in it because they love horses. And I, and I don't doubt that Mark Todd loves horses, but he's made a mistake. It doesn't look good in any context. And he's going to have to accept the punishment and, and, and face the consequences, as anyone that does it would. would. Would you say in some ways, Ross, reputation as much as anything gets dented in that this is going to hit him financially because presumably it will filter down that perhaps less people will come and want to do this with him. I think I've already read that, that he has a sort of clothing industry as such and certain people are saying they're not going to be selling his clothes anymore, etc., etc. So, indirectly, there is a punishment even if a body doesn't do something. Well, absolutely. I mean, this is, this is a guy at the age of seven years of old age. I would drag my parents every weekend to watch him compete. I was unfortunate enough that as I started competing, he retired for the first time and was then very fortunate that he he came back and, and uh, was able to beat me regularly. Um, but it was a privilege to ride alongside him. So for me, it's a, a hero. And to see that image is, is devastating. Um, and it will be for plenty of people. Um, you will, of course, get people try and defend him. But the, the vast majority of people just understand that it's just not acceptable. That's a good place uh, to leave it, I think. Many thanks for your time, Ross. I know you're busy over there in France working. So uh, thanks for your time. Appreciate that. No problem. Ross Miller, who's worked as an event rider, but also as a coach in yeah. a similar sort of situation. What do you think? What should happen? So, Sean, I've, I've, when you have topics like this, most of this I just flow and do off the cuff. I, I don't even particularly even ask you what we're talking about. Um, with this topic, I, I wrote down four or five things because there are things you don't want to forget and you want to say. So the first thing is that in all of this, all the social media outrage, which from our point of view is coming heavily, everyone slag Gordon, now you've got to slag Sir Mark Todd. Um, what I have found disappointing about all those comments is I've barely seen anyone ask, was the horse okay? And for me, at the bottom line of all of this should be, was that horse okay? And secondly, Hopefully the horse is OK. And if that horse either went on to compete or do things, it would be nice to know. Like, the horse was absolutely fine. That would be one thing that would be a positive to come out of this. Um, secondly, the comparison obviously comes with Gordon Elliott. Um, the Gordon Elliott thing, whatever anyone's thoughts of it, 
in general terms, was either stupidity or an act of madness. It was just being thick, for want of a better phrase. In some ways, I think this is worse. I really do. Because this is, this is either an act of madness or stupidity, or it's training methods, which would be unacceptable, or it's losing the plot, which is unacceptable. And particularly if you're grown up in the modern era, people take their phones everywhere. They walk down the street and take pictures of nothing and put it on their Instagram and on TikTok, etc. Of nothing. If they see a horse being hit with a stick, there's going to be someone with a camera somewhere. Like, you cannot afford to lose the plot anymore. You just can't do it. And if you do do it, you will have to face the consequences. Thirdly, um, we as horse lovers spend our whole lives telling people that horses are loved. And this image absolutely goes against everything we tell people on a daily basis. And also, and this for me on a personal level is the worst thing about all of this, other than the fact that is the horse okay, we portray an image of the whip that is used in horse racing, the encourager, the pro-cush, and we emphasise it's padded. But that stick is the image that the public have of a whip with racehorses. That stick, that is the image they have. And for that reason and that reason alone, if the British Horse Racing Authority ever wanted a reason, that is why the whip's name should be changed today to either the Procush or the Encourager, because that is the image that the general public have the horse whip in racing. And, and finally, something that I've always want to say about this, and I'll say it very quickly because I can feel, Sean, that you're getting itchy there. Um, um, the whip that was the old whip, you know, Nijinsky, did he give up the game? No. Did Mill Reef? Give up the game? No. Did all those horses that were used with the old harsh whip by Lester Piggott stop racing? No. There is no evidence that that horrible old whip actually ever stopped horses from racing. But that aside, which is never mentioned in the debate about the whip, that the horses actually didn't have a problem with the old whip at all. But, but that essentially is what I wanted to say about this, Sean, and I think every one of those uh, comments is valid. OK, the last one is irrelevant, as was the first one, because it, it doesn't matter whether that horse is OK, it doesn't matter whether Nijinsky kept racing. Um, were they, I would were, like to were they, know, Were they harmed in Wouldn't that Wouldn't you not like to know if was, the horse is OK? That, you had a long monologue. Was that horse harmed in that moment? Was it distressed? Did it I don't know, that? that's what I'd like to no, know. No, exactly, and ditto Mill Reef. And we know that horses were marked by the old whips. That's why we don't yep. use them. And that's why the, oh, oh, that's, that's, oh, that's why the whips are designed well, to... Marked you had a long... twice a year, you had, Sean. You had a long... Not long, every long. day, once or twice a year. The amount of marking with the previous sticks, certainly the sticks that were used in the area that you were referring to, was off the charts compared to now. We still get one or two markings exactly. a year. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why I we use them. One or two a year. That's why we use the stick that we do, and it's designed uh, to try. And... None of that makes any difference. It's, it's either right or it's wrong. And I agree with you that what Todd did was wrong. I agree with you. The individual incident was at least as bad, if not worse, than what Elliot did. The, the problem for the BHA is he's not licensed in that context by them, but he's licensed as a trainer. I have been on to they... the BHA today yeah. to ask for their comment. I said, "Do you have a line on the top?" Oh, of incident? course they don't. And sure. they said, "We're aware of it." Yeah. But and we're having we're, a think. And we're looking into it, which is... Uh, <laughs> which is what they say about everything. You didn't need to call them. You could have just read that quote out for everything that the BHA ever has to comment on. It's best to have the facts in front of you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that was... But that's what they... We'll take a break.
Welcome back to Racing Debate here on Sky Sports Racing. We, we, do you want to move on to the racing? I would love to. Sure. We were still talking about that in the break. Yeah. You sure you want to move on? Let's move on. I'm just pleased there's nothing for you to strike me with, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Brave man's game. Uh, we, talk, we talked a lot this season about horses not running uh, when, when there's opportunities to run. He took the opportunity to run, gave weight away, put in another impressive performance cloud over the yard but still goes and wins what did you make of that i, I love this horse I, I know because he's just won at three miles people will laugh at me and and paul nichols laughs at me i'm still not convinced that if you sent this horse on from the front he couldn't win the arkle um but that's not as crazy as it sounds for those who think it's crazy because Corto star won a gold cup 100 and won Arkle, two mile chases Arkle often throws up gold yeah. cup horses doesn't yeah. It? yeah and and while I mean, people mention My Way to Solzen of Alan King. That, that is a bad example, actually, in a way, because if people remember, if they watched that race, that Twist Magic was absolutely cruising when coming down at the top of the hill. And for me, would have absolutely hacked up in that particular Arkle and My Way to Solzen ended up winning it. Yeah. But having said that, often Arkle, the Arkle is won by a horse who does stay. Um, uh, he's clearly a brilliant jumper. Um, he got in close, I think, to one in the home straight. But in general terms, he adjusts just as you, a horsey person would like a what horse to adjust. What would you rather adjust. win um, as an owner? Uh, I the think, three mile or the arkle? Oh, I mean, I remember what Martin Pike once said, and I know they just they will throw back at Martin. He never won the Gold Cup. But the class horses are champion hurdlers and champion chasers. Yeah. And that means an arkle horse. Yeah. Um, those are the class the, the plodders tend to be the gold well, cup. probably shouldn't waste time on it because it's not going to happen, is it? No, no, no. Look, so he's going to take on, hopefully, Galapin de Champ over three miles. Um, and what was interesting was what Cobden said, uh, actually to me, uh, afterwards, was that he probably doesn't really want to be going from the front, which sets up the match perfectly because Galapin de Champ will go from the front. Brave man game will stalk. It will be the Irish taking the British and the British trying to pounce. So everything is set for a brilliant Brown advisory uh, novice's chase. Uh, ahoy, senor, my gut feeling is that horse won't go to Cheltenham at all and we'll head off to Aintree. So I think it will be a match-up on the day. But it, I, I actually think at Cheltenham, big grudge matches like that are fantastic Absolutely. and I can't wait for it. Yeah, no, uh, ditto. The question is, of course, which one? At those prices, Brave Man's game for me. And I'm, I'm really impressed with Galloping Deschamps, but Brave Man's game's got all the tools in his army and he's raced plenty, he's jumped a lot of fences, and I like that. In yeah. Race. I like that. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, Galloping Deschamps was a Martin Pipe winner at Cheltenham, which is obviously a big race, but Brave Man's game was a grade one winning novice hurdler. Yeah. Um, so you could argue he had the class angle. You, yeah. you could argue that. Which is why he wouldn't look out of place in an Arkle. But when we look at the Arkle field, it looks an atypical arc. There's no super classy herder in there. But no. Edwardstone is, is, has made his way to the front of the market and won again uh, yesterday, Edwardstone, in good style. Worthy favourite, right favourite? How do you see the arc? Jamie Lynch did some fantastic statistics on the arc. They really were interesting about the fact that, that when there is a short price favourite for the arc, it usually wins. And that's because the pool of absolute top notchers, the Shishkin, is minute. Like you're talking one, two or three maximum horses yeah. a year. You usually identify yeah. them from their hurdling class. But when there's a bigger price favourite for the Arkle, the favourite rarely wins it. Like, in other words, the race is up for grabs. Now, Edward Stone is beginning to get towards being a short price favourite, but he's not going to be odds on come the day or anything like that. Um, He's what you, uh, He's not a horse that excites me that much. In other words, actually, third time lucky, 
excites me more than Edward Stone yeah, as well, a horse. Yeah, I was in that camp, but we have to give up on him, don't we? In, it, well, I don't think he was at his best. I don't yeah. think the third time lucky that ran yesterday was the third time lucky that ran at Doncaster the time mm. before. That's and that's the problem with him. Yeah. He's not... You never know which one's going to turn up. I think he's got brilliance in him. Third time lucky, for me, is the equivalent to Jamie Spencer. When he's good, he's very, very good. He's the equine Jamie Spencer. Jamie Spencer's always good, though. Well, Sean, you'll just say anything to get someone on a show, <laughs> won't you? Um, no, but you know what I mean. Like, the, I feel there's brilliance in there. I just don't quite know when I'm going to see it. Okay. Um, Edward Stone is clearly going to run a race. The only thing I'd say with Blue Lord, who I wasn't impressed with at all last time, is that I've seen these Willie Mullins horses do these prep races, and then they come to Cheltenham, oh, yeah. and they're suddenly like a different animal. Yeah. And suddenly you could imagine Blue Lord just coming there on the bridle. Um, he was a pretty good youngster as a hurdler, Blue Lord. Um, fell, of course, behind. Appreciate it in the Supreme. Yeah. Um, look, it's beginning would to... finish second, do we think? Is that, would, would have finished second probably to... Probably, it'd be in about yeah. six to eight yeah, lengths, yeah. I'd have thought. Um, that's in the Supreme. Um, but look, it's a good race. Uh, I'm really pleased for Tom Cannon. Puts him right in the big stage, the Top Cat. And... He's a big, big gun to play, isn't it? And, yeah. and the Irish are quaking about Edward Stone. They're, every preview night now in Ireland, <laughs> they can talk away about all their Irish horses because you know panels are very biased when it comes to preview nights. I think he's, and, he's and a lovely horse. but it, it, Someone in the audience will say, um, excuse me, Davey, um, Edward Stone? Ah, oh, he's English, he's got no chance. Well, he's clearly got a chance and he's, he's the right favourite, I think, but it's, it's, a, it's an unusual article because we don't have that creme de la creme from, mm. the, from the hurling division, it seems to me. Uh, Fernand Buell-Sivler will go for the champion chase. Venetia, I think, confirmed, didn't she, Venetia Williams, uh, yesterday? That will be the, the target for him. And, and Well, look at that picture, Sean. I mean, no offence to connections of Finnambu Sivola, and I'm pleased he's going. What's his name? Finnambu <laughs> Um I, I love a Savaloy. <laughs> Honestly, I do. I love a Savaloy. <laughs> Battered sausage and Savaloy with curry sauce and chips. It's I'm not surprised. Of, not something I've had for a long time, actually. <laughs> that's why I'm so trim at the moment. But it's like, oh, you've made me hungry now. But anyway, coming back to Finambu Savola, um, Savaloy. Uh, uh, look, it's great that he's running, because yep. I do think that the more horses in a race, the better the yep. renewal in general terms, as long as they've got some sort of chance. Um, but look how close Sir Royal is, and much that we like that horse... I mean, Shishkin would spit so royal yeah. out. He'd be very qu in quickly. See if we squeeze this in before the break. Eldorado, Allen, Gold Cup, or Ryanair? Where do you go? Um, yes. I mean, Eldorado Allen has now hung around longer than Eldorado hung around back in the day. Um, but um, do you remember Eldorado? The old soap, the Spanish. Was it the far, Spanish soap? Far too, I do actually. Yeah. 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 Um, Sixteen to one, Fernandbuil. Yeah. Go on. I mean, I think they're leaning Ryanair, aren't they? Yes. He was that kind of on my radar as a gold Also because they've got so Fiddler on the Roof for the Gold Cup and a forgotten horse, actually, in the Gold yeah. Cup. Um, uh, my gut feeling is that he's not going to be quite good enough to beat Alaho. But then, is anything good? Actually, funny enough, you know I was saying these money. Alaho was a classic example. Mm. He went to Cheltenham last year and he yeah, looked like yeah. a completely different animal to yeah. one that we'd ever seen before. Yeah. And he hasn't looked the same since. But when he goes back there, I bet he runs around like a machine again. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's a fair point. That's it is a, a good point. point. Uh, we have to leave it there. We don't get your view on the champion hurdle and why... Um... Uh, why you should be really appreciated, I think you said, didn't you, in your well, side column. Honeysuckle is eminently beatable. Well, yeah, they're kind of reflected in their price, I suppose, but um, we must take a break. After the break, we're going to talk about the Gambling Act review, why it matters for you after this.
Welcome back to Racing Debate here on Sky Sports Racing. Myself and Mr Matt Chapman with you for the duration. Your emails and tweets are welcome. We've been so busy, we haven't uh, stressed that, but it, it's always the case. As you know, you're welcome to get in touch via emails. We are racing at skysports.com and we are at, at the races on Twitter. Andy was pleased that we dealt with uh, that uh, Todd story. Uh, Bill says, wasn't Gordon Elliott found guilty of bringing the game into this disrepute? What's the difference? Well, I suppose that was a, a racehorse on licensed premises, Bill. And it'd be, it'd be very interesting to see whether... whether you know, the racing industry and the, and the authorities here decide that it is something for them to intervene uh, with. Um, we'll come back to that because we must move on. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, th I think in, it, this is more damaging for some of the arguments that some of us are trying to put forward as far as horse racing is concerned. But I think for the general public, the Elliott thing will be more shocking. That's how I see it, Sean. You might be right. You might be right. This is certainly something that will concern racing fans, I think. Now, another thing that will concern racing fans is the Gambling Act review, which is an ongoing process. It keeps being pushed back, pushed back. We're now looking spring, maybe May, before we uh, start to see the final outcome of that. But the government is looking at the whole legislation of gambling. There was a whole raft of deregulation in the, in the 90s and around the turn of the century. And now that may be pushed uh, back. Why should it concern uh, punters? Why should it concern racing fans? We'll talk about that in detail in the moment with the horse race betting forums. Um, Colin Horde is going to join us. But here's a, a question that came up in Parliament this week, which was addressed by uh, Chris Philp, who is the um, secretary at uh, DCMS. Here's, uh, here's what was said. I've had extensive conversations with the horse racing industry and indeed with colleagues in this house representing constituencies with racing interests uh, on the Gambling Act review in general and on the plans which the industry is voluntarily developing to share information on customers who are at severe risk of addictive gambling disorders. Sorry. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, can the Minister confirm that when the draft proposals of the review are announced that there will be an impact assessment on the horse racing industry? And would he meet with me to discuss my alternative to the proposed single customer view, which is the single customer wallet, which not only will be cheaper and more efficient for the industry to bring in, but also offer consumers better protections? Minister. Uh, yes, I'd be delighted to meet my honourable friend to discuss his ideas, and I can assure him there will be uh, proper impact assessments done. Uh, we know that horse racing is a vital sport for uh, the people who work in the industry. It supports very many jobs. It provides uh, leisure activities for many people, and of course is a significant source of national pride and prestige as well. And nothing in the Gambling Act review, I hope, will do anything to undermine uh, the financial condition of this great sport or its place at the heart of our national life. Well, that sounded reassuring, didn't it? And uh, this is what the uh, British Horse Racing Authority Chief Exec Julie Harrington had to say on the back of that. She welcomed the Minister's comments in the House of Commons this morning, both on the importance of horse racing to the British economy and national life, and that the Gambling Act review should not undermine the finances of British racing. In my discussions with the Minister, I've emphasised that British Racing fully supports the review's objectives, but it must be based, uh, must be evidence-based in reducing gambling-related harm and avoid damaging unintended consequences. What could those unintended consequences be? What could be the implications for racing, and particularly for racing fans? Let's talk to Colin Horde. Colin's the chair of the Horse Race Betters Forum. So, uh, Colin, uh, many thanks for joining us and, and welcome along. We should explain, of course, that you, you represent horse race punters rather than the generality of, uh, of punters. Just... In a nutshell, to kick us off, why should we as racing fans and racing punters be concerned about what's going on with this Gambling Act review at the moment? Why should it interest us? 
I think the uh, the biggest issue, uh, Sean, uh, with the Gambling Act review has been around uh, the implementation of affordability checks. And this is something that uh, the industry is, is currently undergoing. And uh, there was a proposal very at the very beginning, in fact, uh, over a year ago now, to bring in affordability checks for, for customers who uh, lost money uh, during their gambling. And there was a proposal to uh, even bring this in when people lose £100 a month. That, that appears to be diminishing that particular risk. But I think, you know, affordability checks, whatever the threshold is, uh, that will inevitably uh, you know, bring more people into having uh, their finances looked at and seeing whether they can still uh, afford to gamble, as it were. What would be the harm of that, Colin? What are your members saying to you? Because I know you've surveyed your members and got their views on it. What, what are they saying? That How would they react if those checks were to come in? Yeah, so uh, many people responded basically uh, already by not providing their financial information. And, and what we know is that uh, the bookmakers require quite substantial amounts of information to be supplied, uh, information on how much money you're paid, uh, what savings you have, your pension details. Uh, all this sort of information is then uh, taken into account and then they, they give you a verdict, verdict on, on whether you can uh, continue to bet and how much you can deposit each month. And we know that this is done on a variety of different measures. You know, different bookmakers employ different uh, different measures of, of how to under, to to, uh, to look at that, ascertain those those details, and it's not it's not straightforward and uh, and it's very time consuming and, and, and highly intrusive. It is very um, intrusive potentially, but then there is uh, pressure on government and on politicians to do something about the the uh, the risks of gambling related harm, and we've seen sort of deregulation in, in, in the decades leading up to now. What's the HBF's position, Colin? Is, the, is there a balance to be struck or would you say there should be no such checks in place? What's, what's the HBF position? Yeah, so I think, I mean, the first thing to say is that we believe that the, the bookmaking industry kind of have brought this amongst, on themselves to some extent. And, and what we really do want to see is, is that affordability checks are really brought in as the very last uh, resort in terms of how people make those assessments. And we welcome the initiatives that have been brought in by a couple of bookmakers already, Entain, uh, Labrooks and Corals. And um, we've just seen a press release from, from Unibet where they're, they're employing some, uh, some algorithms that look at how much people are depositing and how much, uh, what sort of play they're, they're undertaking. And then they can make assessments of, of, of their, of their uh, affordability and, and how, how likely they are to, to harm. And let's face it, Sean, the bookmakers have have got some very good algorithms and, and look at how when people win and uh, they should they should be uh, employing similar sort of uh, activities to look at how people potentially lose and, and when they may be at harm. Yeah, they should indeed. There's there's, there's talk of what's called a, a, sing, a single customer view, I think, uh, Colin, but, but also I think what the MP was referring to there, the alternative of a, a single company. What, uh, what's your understanding of how those things might work and could they be an answer? Yeah, so the single the single customer view is is very much focused on people who may be uh, at risk and who have have already shown signs of gambling harm, and that really is where where bookmakers basically share that information. So where one person has uh, self excluded or shown some some serious signs of gambling harm, that their their information is shared with other bookmakers because obviously the likelihood is that they're going to open up other accounts and and, and potentially do similar things again. The single customer wallet is a is a is a broader measure where people um, put some put some money into a wallet and then that can be used uh, centrally and, and and some assessments are made on that and, and taken from there. So there's there's merits in both schemes. Uh, obviously, the devil in all these sorts of things in the detail. But I think uh, 
there's uh, the more discussion that can be had on this, the better. All of those involved, Colin, to a certain extent, operators sharing information about punters, which on the one hand might be good if you're trying to sort of um, mitigate gambling harm, but I think many punters instinctively would say, would say bookmakers can also abuse that kind of sharing of information. Yeah, very much so. And, and we've just seen, I don't know whether you, some of your viewers would have seen the report that came out just this week by a company or an organisation called Crack Labs, which looked at how bookmakers share information. And I think it's, it's something that we are highly concerned about. And you know this how this information is shared and, and we want some some real assurances and we, and we want to see some improvement in how bookmakers make use of this information in terms of profiling people and uh, and stopping them and stopping them betting as well so we we want to we want to see a, a light a light change in you know substantial change in how uh, bookmakers make use of uh, our our personal information yeah it certainly needs uh, oversight i think that that's for sure now our arena race course company um this week uh, Colin said they're not going to allow uh, race sponsors to sort of cross uh, promote. So you can't promote an online casino in a race sponsorship name. Trying to make a distinction between horse racing, betting activity and the other forms of gaming. Perhaps some people say harder forms of gaming. Um, is that a distinction that I, I presume you and your members uh, recognise and, and, and would want to make? Yeah, very much so. In, in, our, in our submission to the Gambling App Review, that was, that was our number two point actually about cross-selling uh, casino-based products uh, through horse racing and really to, to make a substantial de demarcation between the two. You know, one, you know, horse racing and, and sports betting is a skill-based activity. The other is a, is a, is a luck-based or games of chance uh, where in the long term the, the player cannot win. And we, we really want to make a, a distinction between the two, you know, and I think uh, over time the bookmakers, uh, as they've morphed themselves into these online casinos, have really uh, lost, you know, they've, they've conflated the two, the two, the two uh, betting and, and, and gaming, casino gaming. And we, we really, we welcome this move by ARC and we really want to see, um, you, know, the, you know, the two things being completely separated uh, in people's betting. And, and we welcome the idea that having a different wallets for, for betting and for, for, for casino games. Okay. Um, interesting stuff. Look, many thanks for that, Colin. We'll keep an eye on this because, of course, it's, uh, we're approaching the time when we'll start to see the, uh, the outcomes of this. Uh, we, we, we anticipate later on in the spring, perhaps. So we, we, we may well touch base with you again. Many thanks for that. Pleasure. Colin Hoard, who chairs the Horse Race Betters Forum. We touched on this last week, didn't we? The, the, the trying to make that distinction between horse race betting and, and, and gaming, straight gaming, which is, as Colin says, a, a, a game of chance. And My feeling on that, Sean, is there is a point to make, but I'm not sure it's an absolutely bomb-proof argument. Um, as for the Jockey Club and ARC thing, uh, I'll just repeat again what I said last week. If, if the reverse roles were happening, this would be a huge story in all the papers. But because it's the Jockey Club uh, and the Jockey Club are not attacked by most journalists, then um, basically they just get away with it and no one says anything. But if, if, if it was the other way round and the Jockey Club were ruling out casino links but Ark had joined a casino link, everyone would be crazy at Ark. It, it's, it's just the way people report stuff because they're in need of the Jockey Club and not so in need of the arena racing company. What about um, on the... On the stuff about the checks, yeah. um, I mean, we're getting to the stage now where bookmakers don't want you to win, but they also don't want you to lose, which kind of, in the end, suggests, well, no one will be betting at all, um, which is the big problem for the sport as, as a whole. Um, it still comes down to the fact that I can go out today and buy, change my way of eating, 
I can go and buy expensive food every day or I can go shopping for clothes every day and completely yeah. max out my credit cards and no one will say a thing to me. But if I want to have a bet every day, um, someone will go crazy. And There are some limits in terms of where we can use cash for big transactions now and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. People check. You can hardly do anything anymore like that, yeah. as far as finance is concerned. Um, personally, I mean, I've read a lot of gambling addict stories and I've never really read a gambling addict story where the gambling has been calculated. You know, you technically could be a gambling addict, but clever. But I've never really heard those stories. Yeah. Most of the gambling addicts I have read about have basically ended up gambling on everything. Everything, casinos, virtual racing, greyhounds, horses, they just go whoosh. Has, and has, for anyone, has anyone asked you yet for your personal financial and for me, And for me, Sean, um, therefore, I don't believe that it's very hard for a bookmaker to monitor whether someone's Well, out Colin of made the point, like, they have algorithms which are very sensitive to whether you're beating SP more than once in your life, uh, so, so it can't... But I don't even think it way. needs to be that... Technical. Well, no, exactly. They, it's very they, obvious if someone is just going crazy. And it's, and it's not about the amounts necessarily. It's about, you know, frequency yeah. and periods of deposits and stuff like that. I just find it incredible that people are being asked. That. It hasn't happened to me so far. Gambling addicts, it's usually over a period of time. Yeah, yeah. Because, as we know, it can go from gambling to theft and stealing money. Yeah. It's a period... It, you don't just lose everything with a win a week or something. And, or, or when that happens, it's very, very rare. And therefore... You get an idea of how someone bets fairly quickly if you're monitoring their accounts. And it would be, therefore, very easy, I'd have thought, to monitor when someone is losing control. Yeah. Personally, that's what I... I might be wrong, Sean, but that's my opinion. Well, I think you're absolutely right. The technology is there, and at that point, you should check in with them. They should still be allowed to proceed if they want to. They're human beings. They're adults. The responsibility sits with us eventually, I think. Uh, we're going to take a break. Your view's next. Welcome back to Racing Debate here on Sky Sports Racing. We've come over to the Sky Pad. Yep, this uh, thing. Yes, be careful touching it. You know, you, thousands of pounds worth of kit. You're well, this thing. Banging it. Uh, let's see what you've had to say uh, via the medium that is hope it works. Twitter. Uh, Paul Nichols running Brave Man's Game four times this season. Uh, deserves huge praise. Yep. I concur. Yeah, and nice to see him in a handicap as well. Yes. Not to wait. Right up Kevin Blake Street. Yeah, although the field was no bigger than if it was a conditions race. It was quite small, but uh, nonetheless, we, we appreciate the, um, the willingness to do battle, which is a, it's a Nichols trademark. If, if they're ready, he'll run them. Even when there's a, and there has been an issue with the yard, he says, I'm still going to keep running. Yeah. Uh, so, fine. so, yeah, if it had been a conditions race, the chances are he'd have been a one to two shot. That's yeah. the difference, isn't it? Whereas the handicap just made it a bit more interesting if you're watching. You'd still want more, more runners, though. Yeah, no, it was good. We agree with you, Dermot. It was good stuff indeed. Neither Brave Man's Game... This is going to put you back in your box, Matt. Neither Brave Man's Game or Everson did anything wrong, but one won a handicap with four runners, the other one a grey two with four runners. I wouldn't be getting carried away. Oh. The Irish are losing no sleep. Gallop and Deschamps walks all over them. It's funny, isn't it? Because this is the ridiculous argument that certain people put forward, as if the, uh, the fields in Ireland... A massive. Like, I mean, you could exactly write the same argument for Galopin de Short for these two horses. How many horses did he beat the other day? If I remember, I haven't checked this, but if I remember rightly, seven. Yeah, but he's beaten the It was an eight runner race, Sean. 600 lengths. And he beat 
Only two horses were in single digits in the betting mm. next to Gallop and Deschamps, and they were big prices, around six and a half and nine to one. I tried, so, George, I tried to put him back in his box, but he's not having it's it. It's nonsense. It's exactly the same okay. both here next. and over there. Next. Need a little bell to go ding. Uh, Edward Stone, so like Boy Poor, great chance in the Arkle. I agree with the second part, Joey has a great chance in the Arkle. He's not in the same league as Boy Poor or My Way or those horses for me. But well, not yet. it doesn't mean he hasn't got a great chance in the Arkle because it's an open Arkle. See, this is your problem, Boise, and it's always been your problem. You want everything straight away. You want everything. And you're not allowed to prepare and wait. Mm. You have no patience, Sean. It's, you're the kind of man, actually, who could lose the plot. And remember, there are phones <laughs> everywhere. There's a camera right there. Let's see what else we've got. Edouard, uh, El, El Dorado Allen was superb. The Tizards won't shy away from the Gold Cup. Says, I think they will. Jay. They will. I think they will. They will. He was but good. He was superb. But he needs to be supplemented for either, doesn't he? For the Ryanair or, the, or for the Gold Cup? Or uh, he, no, he's, he's in the Ryanair. He's in the Ryanair. He's in the Ryanair. He's not in the Gold Cup. That probably helps. But also, listening to Colin Tizard's comments, he's, he's not convinced he's going to see the, necessarily the Gold Cup trip out. I think with Colin, the 30 grand, even though he won't be the man paying it, is something that does. And it does. And it's 30 grand to finish eighth or something. It's like it's, it's a big... Just last week, though, we were saying what an open Gold Cup. It looks winnable. We're talking about... Throwing a novice in there. It seems does, but this horse still has loads to prove. It's not like you forgot to enter a Plutard and you're thinking... At the start of the season, when looking for a horse who could break into that bracket, he was high on the list for me, Eldorado. But, but I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. You mean you finally have got one of your big anti-post prices to Cheltenham, sure. I, I took the view that the, the Tizards were going to have a much better season, and they are, they are. Darts got uh, to hit eventually. Yeah, I'm not going to get paid, but they are having a better no. season. Um, Pete, Venetia post-race confirming uh, Fanambul Sivola will be heading to Cheltenham. L'Empresse, Brave Shaska, and this lad could go. Charlie Deutsch may not be waiting long for a Cheltenham ride. Wouldn't be surprised if we got a few... Spe- Spares are hard to come by at the, at the festival. I suppose this is a Charlie Deutsch line as well as a Venetia line, is it? Well, if Brian Hughes can't get rides at the Cheltenham Festival, it's going to be hard for Charlie Deutsch to get outside rides. Yeah. But there is no doubt the more people that keep saying he is the best chase jockey, and I've no idea whether he's the best chase jockey, but this is the line horsey people are putting out, that he's the best chase jockey in the country. That's got to resonate with an owner if he's looking for a jockey at some stage, hasn't he? Uh, having said that, Brian Hughes is clearly one of the best jockeys in the country and no-one wants to put him up at all at Cheltenham. Well, he may not have enough opportunities and he can ride lots of winners elsewhere during that, those four days. So that makes The Savaloy is exciting. Um, Venetia Williams is doing great. Long um, is good. We like him. Yeah, he looks really good, doesn't he? Though he's, this, is, this will be a different test. Yeah, talking of great chase riders, excellent analysis by your colleague, Mr Walsh, of um, Davy Russell the other day, uh, which, which I really enjoyed. Now, on the snaff... That sounds like a Matt Chapman pseudonym, doesn't it, on the snaff? But I don't think it is because he says, is a trainer in another uh, jurisdiction sitting on a dead horse worse for the BHA than a man flogging a live horse on video within their jurisdiction? Surely the BHA have to act. Well, it was the the Irish authorities who acted in the Gordon Elliott case, of course, although there was certainly pressure from uh, the British authorities because they didn't really want him running at uh, at Cheltenham. Is it in their jurisdiction, I suppose, is the question? No, I mean, we've discussed this. Personally, I'll just repeat what I said earlier, just in case you missed it. My feeling is that... For the general public, the dead horse will look worse. Okay, for us in the industry, let me ask you something. Let me ask you something different, though, because you've already said that. What should the BHA do? Should they do anything today? I, I actually don't know. I don't know what you do. I mean, if you if you suspended his license for three months, does that do anyone any good? I I I actually do not know how I would punish him if I wanted to punish him. I tell you what, I'd do something. 
something today. I'd have bowled up to his yard today with some vets just so I could say that I had if I was the regulator. Just so I could say we've checked all the horses, they're all fine, they're all way one. We've had a conversation, this is what's going to happen from here now. Maybe we review the license, maybe we have to sit down and have a meeting and stuff like that. But I mean, we should we remember this video was two something. years ago, sure. I know, but it's only come out the last few days. It's been out since Friday, it was out last night, and this morning the regulator says, we're aware of it. To be fair, you look as though you've been out since Thursday night. It's not enough. It's not enough. You've got to do more than that, I'm afraid, chaps. I even had a shave. Uh, what else have we got? <laughs> I haven't had a shave for a long time. Brian Hughes, another treble. Uh, what a fan. This is your line. He's already beaten Northern Records on course to ride 200 winners. The 200 figure is quite something, isn't it, if he can get there? And this will put him third in the all-time UK jump jockeys as well. What I love about Brian Hughes is his attitude. Now, I remember when, they, when the BHA did something that was brilliant. He's very like you, was... isn't he? He does everything quietly, gets it quietly. I'm not enjoying the show. <laughs> um... Uh, I remember, do you remember the, um, the Irish Anglo Jumps Awards? Yes. It used to be a big thing. Yes. It was really good. Yes. Just disappeared. Um, but I remember I actually either hosted it, I don't think I hosted it. Was that the last one? Was that well, the last one? I would have been sacked if I had hosted <laughs> it. Um, but um, uh, I was there for, Sky, uh, for At The Races in the old days. And I remember interviewing Brian Hughes when he was collecting the Conditional Jockeys Award. Mm. And I really got to grips of how seriously he takes this. He's got the McCoy mentality. Winning is everything. And he doesn't care whether it's a big race or a bad race. And as a punter, that is what you want to hear from your jockey. You, the, the, the guys who turn up in the group and grade ones and are brilliant are fine. But as a punter, what you want is for a jockey to take that attitude into the sellers and yeah. claimers. It's why you love the Jamie Moore. It goes back to the Cheltenham thing. Not everyone can ride for Mullins or Nichols. And, and if, if, if you're not going to be winning the championship races, no, you, and let's you, face you want it, to be champion jockey. Donald McCain is on the verge of getting those kind of graded horses back for Brian. That would be good. That would be good. That seems like yesterday to me that uh, he was there uh, butting horns with Nichols and Mullins and Henderson at the, at the festival. I've enjoyed today. Have you? Yeah. Yeah. It's had its moments, but uh, generally I've enjoyed well, it. Genuinely, I Thanks for coming I was along. Going to take out some insurance early on. Thank you for watching Racing Debate.